Well, perfect. We'll get started. I know you guys have dinner coming up, so I'll try to give you a little bit of time in between there and then. But wanted to get to know you guys just a little bit. Where are you guys from? Is there like you guys seem to be a cluster? Is there a few clusters in here? Utah. Okay. What what part of Utah? Okay. I just I did a wedding in Salt Lake City this summer, so I got to that was my first time visiting. So. There was a garden above Salt Lake City, oh, yeah, like above yeah. the university. I forget what it's called, but um, but yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Red, oh, yep, yeah, Redbeard Garden. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was beautiful. We had tons of fun. We went out through Zion and circled all the way. So it was pretty cool. So we try. It was like our vacation of the summer. So I think we did like 15 days. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. So we have a family of six so it was really we fit in well in utah <laughs> everyone thought we were utahns or whatever yeah so utah are you guys together okay wow and then you mantica okay and then you guys oh you're part of the utah crew wow okay very cool well uh so mental fitness in a fallen world i'm by no means an expert on this. This is just something that I've been wrestling with over like the last, I don't know, three years. I've been struggling probably with some mental uh, stuff for like the last six. My mom and my sister have always battled with it. And they used to be like, man, I can't believe you don't have anything. Like, because I've, sort of, I've been a pastor for 18 years and on stage and no anxiety and all, anything like that. And just of recent, um, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of anxiety, you know, self-deprecating thoughts. And so I got into this, you know, just diving into this topic of what does it look like in church to be mentally fit? Um, and so it really wrestled, started wrestling with it is I, like I told you guys a little bit in my thing, I was a high school athlete um, playing basketball at like a state level, getting D1 scholarships here in California and uh, was going to go D1 in college and long story long got hurt, but loved basketball and was constantly like working out and fitness was huge in my life. And then uh, when you stop playing, right, you start to get fat and all that goes the wayside. So last summer, not the one that we just ended, but the one previous, I exited the summer at 315 pounds. Um, and so I'm hanging out around like 200 right now. And I got to a point where I saw a picture of us baptizing kids in the river. I was like, who is this guy? And uh, a lot of it I felt like was just like, oh, me making bad choices, which it was. I was eating obviously wrong things. But it really was that first thing. And I was like, man, my mental health is not right. And it's manifesting itself in this. And so I went back to thinking like, okay, I'm going to start working out and I'm going to go to the gym and I need somebody. I've always had trainers and people who have told me what to eat. And so I started doing that again, where I just had people physically tell me like, go over there, do 10 reps of this, go over there. And that was great. And I started losing a little bit of weight, but my mind was still just spiraling. And so that's where this idea of mental fitness of like, okay, I need people just like to tell me what to eat and how to work out. I need them, you know, to be a team around me mentally. And so um, just want to jump in kind of, so we're all in the same playing field here. This first portion of the seminar, we'll kind of just be getting us all to use the same words. And then we'll kind of exit the seminar with kind of maybe five 
actually action steps that hopefully we can take home to our youth groups and stuff like that. So how many, are you guys all volunteers? Anyone like full-time paid by the church? Paid, 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 paid. I know I feel that. Yeah. Kind of paid by the church. Yeah. Paid by the church. Awesome. Okay. So mental health, right. Includes our thoughts, our feelings and our emotions. And it's also affected by our physical health, our brain, our nervous system, and even our gut. We are all created as humans, and we live in this fallen world, and it is perfectly normal and natural that we would experience brokenness in the area of our mental health. I think as Christians, a lot of times we think, man, I shouldn't have any of this. It's like, no, we live in a broken, fallen world. And this topic over the past few decades, mental health has really become a topic of discussion and debate on the wide spectrum of population. Uh, Mental health is a huge area of spiritual, emotional, and even scientific concern. You can't scroll on TikTok or Instagram or anything like that before you're like three or four, five in, and you're hearing something that someone in their parents' bedroom is trying to be a mental health expert or struggling with mental health. That is at the forefront of everyone. Luckily for us, the Bible has a lot to say when it comes about the mind. So we're going to start with an obvious question, maybe, but what is the mind? What is the difference between the mind and the brain based on what Scripture says? Are they basically synonyms, like uh, you know, synonymous? Are they completely different? Are they interrelated? So from a completely you know, biblical perspective, the difference between the mind and the brain are typically understood in this framework of the body, soul, and spirit relationship. Bible-believing Christians affirm uh, the existence of both the mind and the brain, and we view them as distinct different entities with unique functions and origins. So we want to address some of those key differences briefly. The brain of course, is a physical organ that's inside of our noggin, right? It's the highly complex uh, biological supercomputer responsible for things like processing information, controlling bodily function, generating our thoughts, our emotions, and our behaviors. And because God has created us as a holistic being with three major parts, right? We have the body, the soul, and the spirit. The study of the human brain is great evidence of God's creative genius. The more we study the brain and its functions, the more we get a glimpse on just how amazing God is. And we recognize its significance and how we perceive and interact with the world around us. But we also understand the brain as a physical instrument and its distinction from the primary source of consciousness itself. So in essence, right, the brain is the hardware supercomputer that God designed, and the mind is more like the software or the source of the human consciousness. Does that make sense? You have a kind of hardware and software. So with that in mind, the brain is physical, and we understand the mind is part of that non-physical aspects of human design. So again, the mind is our source of self-awareness, our thought process, our reasoning, our emotions, the, where we get the capacity to make moral and ethical choices and decisions, right? In fact, one of the main differences between us 
humans and animals is the ability to make choices based on morality rather than just pure instinct. I think if we have dogs or anything like that, we know that animals can have a sense of emotion, but they can't willfully subject their instincts to moral choices in the same way us humans can. I'm not a massive Greek person, but I think just give us a little bit here, is the Greek word for soul is the word soke, and uh, we get our English word psyche as the root word of our psychology or the study of mind from that. And this is when we often talk about our minds as part of our souls, uh, where the thought processes are, where our sense of identity and individuality resides. In youth ministry, we know that everyone wants to be individual, right? You'll have a whole entire room. It's like, I dress this way because I want to be an individual. It's hilarious because they all dress the same, but they want to be an individual. So the Bible teaches us that humans are both physical and non-physical, both material and immaterial. So the body is part of the material part of us and the soul and spirit are part of the immaterial part of us. And Paul prayed for the Thessalonians in the following way in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. May your whole spirit, soul, body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the author of Hebrews uh, signifies the distinction between the soul and spirit in Hebrews Five or excuse me, four twelve. He says the word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So at the moment of salvation, at the moment that we, at the moment that our students put in this spiritual dilemma, right, our human spirit, we're all born with the one that's marred by sin that we inherited from Adam, right? That is crucified with Christ and raised to new life with us. This is why Paul refers to us as new creations. See, we physically were not crucified with Christ, but spiritually we are crucified with him so that we can live forever as brand new creatures that are no longer corrupted by sin in the realm of our spirit. So now it's important to realize that every part of us has been redeemed through the cross and the resurrection. The spirit is immediately transformed into perfection and united with the Holy Spirit at the moment that we put our trust in Christ as our Savior. We see it, Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 1, 17, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit instantly. See, the result of this aspect is that our salvation are instantaneous, like it's right away, right? Our spirit, the moment that we receive Christ is in union with him and we are heaven ready. No improvements Needed, And I think if we think to our youth ministries, we have a lot of kids who walk through the door or don't walk through the door because they say, I'm not ready for God, you know, yet, right? But once they give their life to Christ, there's no improvements needed. Our bodies and souls are also redeemed through faith in Jesus, but in a slightly different way. Our physical bodies will be raised from the dead at the return of Jesus Christ when the Lord descends from heaven with a shout at rapture, right, for his church. We see later in 1 Corinthians, Paul shares with us the following of this in 15, 51 through 53. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all, we will not all sleep, 
but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound. The dead will be rised and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself in imperishable and the mortal with immortal. So at this future resurrection, our mortal bodies will take on eternal immorality, right? But until that day, though our physical resurrection is guaranteed by the promise of Jesus, right, and the apostles, we live in the present lives that are ailing bodies until our death or the return of Christ. And that's along with our minds as well. So the spirit is redeemed and perfected instantly, united forever with the spirit of Christ. Our bodies are presently decaying and is subject to the future promise of the resurrection, right, to eternal life, which leaves us to the question of our soul, the seat of our mind, and ultimately our will and emotion. So it's important to realize that our soul is not evil any more than our body is evil because it yet hasn't experienced this full transformation Right? Jesus redeemed all of us, every part of us at the cross and the resurrection. But our soul is in the realm in which we are presently undergoing all kinds of growth, maturity, transformation as disciples of Jesus. God is a relational being. As those who have been created in his image, we are relational beings. And the soul is in the realm in which we are constantly growing or perhaps not growing in our relationship with God, ourselves, and with others. So that's why the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 12 too, do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So at salvation through faith in Christ, we are instantly transformed in the dimension of our spirit. That's the past. It's a done deal. It's already fully happened. But also at salvation through faith in Christ, we receive the promise of our future bodies being resurrected. That's a future dimension of our salvation. And it will happen when Jesus comes again. But also at salvation through faith in Christ, we be in, re- in this relational process with God in which he desires us to lead us into a more maturity realm of our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotion as we learn to trust and walk with him more fully. This is the present aspect of our salvation, and that is kind of in the seat in which the spirit or the uh, mental health lives. So we have been transforming our spirit The moment we believe, we will be transformed in our physical bodies at the moment Christ returns. And we we are being transformed from the utter nightmare of living without Christ as the Lord of our minds and our emotions and our wills. So now with all that kind of said, that like I said, we just want to lay the groundwork there. The realm of our mind, right, that's affecting our emotion and our will, the seat of our mental fitness is really the subject of the seminar. And it's ongoing transformation happens to the degree that our minds are being renewed. So what does that look like that we are in that process that hasn't been instantly like Christ? How does that impact us in this real world where we experience things like anxiety, depression, anger, or issues of like self-identity, right? We're massive in at least California. Is that happened pretty 
strong in, in Utah culture as well. So uh, through the Word of God, we are encouraged in the fact that we are not islands unto ourselves. And for me, this is where it like really started to resonate. I, I felt like I got on stage midweek. I preached Sunday mornings. And I said, I can't have these mental issues. I can't tell you this because I'm supposed to be like shepherding a flock. And so I had to put on this like persona. And when I realized, and man, we are meant for community. We are made that way. Like Even though we're uniquely individuals, we're also part of this community called the body of Christ or the church. And as part of that communal body, there are dependence on God working through different parts of that body in our own lives. And there's wisdom in receiving help from other people. So just like I said in the beginning, like I was fine getting help with my weight loss and those kind of journeys, but I wasn't with my mental health. And this is what I want to encourage you guys in, and hopefully you guys encourage your students in, is that there's going to be five things here at the very end that I think each one of us and our students can possibly play into this. So um, like I said, just as we might seek out, you know, somebody to help us with our physical training, there's wisdom in pursuing pursuing mental care and fitness as well. So five realities. It's wise to seek counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen tells us, where there is no guidance, people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is safety. See, in his wisdom, God created us for community, for connection. It's important to embrace the fact that seeking counsel is not a sign of weakness, but it's an acknowledgement of our interdependence upon others within the body of Christ, that we aren't an isolated island all by ourselves. I'm thankful that the church has kind of moved past the resistance in this area about seeking out counsel and Christ-centered therapy and addressing the hurts and habits and hangups that we all have. Back in the day, Christians would blame every problem on de demonic activity. And I wanted to state that I fully believe that the demonic realm is real and some problems, many problems maybe have their root in various forms of a spiritual attack. But 30, 40 years ago, many Christians thought that anything related to psychology, help, or therapy for addressing your mental problems was just purely demonic. And, and that's just not the case. There are many examples in Scripture for people who deeply loved God yet suffered with mental struggles. And a believer who is battling with anxiety, depression, anger, or any of the host of those things is not necessarily under spiritual attack. Many of those mental battles face maybe are spiritual in nature, but not every single one of them. I had a friend at a church, and he, he doesn't work there anymore, but his um, son developed autism. And it was one of these things of like, well, what did you do? And they just got into that realm of like, it's something that you've done, right? And so not everything is going to have a real, we can just pray it through. You know, it used to just be like, hey, go memorize these two verses, come back, and if you're, you'll be great again. And so some of these are connected to our unhealthy thinking patterns based on um, past issues of shame, guilt, or fear. Some mental struggles can be connected to chemical imbalances in our brain, which affects our mood, our attitudes, our behavior. My oldest son is adopted. We adopted him when he was four years old. 
and he has a mental condition called RAD, reactive attachment disorder. And he gets extremely frustrated very quickly and, and can spiral in mental things because of a chemical imbalance that was kind of institutionalized in him in the first years, four years of living, you know, in uh, an orphanage over in Africa. So I'm saying that these are complexities that should not be oversimplified by just saying like, hey, Johnny, go read these verses, or you're not praying enough, or you're not doing that. Like, if the students or you are seeking help, that is wise. The Word of God is so powerful for mental transformation that the objective truth of Scripture generally and the gospel specifically is the key to mental fitness for every believer. But I know that many believers who love God and love his scripture still struggle with mental challenges and feel crippled and debilitating by that. And it's wise for them to seek counsel or wise for you to seek counsel when you're experiencing what feels like defeat in that battleground of our mind. So number two, uh, wisdom giving or teaching are spiritual gifts. See, many within the body are called to the function according to their specific gifts of teaching and guiding others. The gift of spiritual wisdom, <coughs> excuse me, is a precious work of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, and some are called to that ministry of counseling, whether maybe voluntarily or vocationally. You guys might be getting paid for that. There are numerous people who love Jesus passionately, but are also trained as counselors, therapists who work hard to guide people through the intersection of both psychology and, you know, their struggles. And, and we thank God for them. So it's important to understand that counseling is not this new thing in the body of Christ. In fact, one of the titles that Jesus himself is called a wonderful counsel counselor in the book of Isaiah. So ultimately, the difference between Christian counseling and non-Christian counseling is the critical dimension of leading people to a greater trust and dependency upon Christ. So of course, counseling and therapy can help anybody regardless if they've ever trusted in Christ. But counseling that is rooted in the core realities of the gospel is particularly powerful because we're learning to trust more through in God, right? And he's designed us and redeemed us through his own immersive sacrifice. And third, there is power in the confession and accountability. The half-brother of Jesus, the apostle James, encourages us in James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. One of the most powerful things about counseling is that it creates a safe place, a confidential space for you to share your struggles or for your students to share their struggles, confess their sin, and receive loving correction without feeling condemned, right, or condemnation. And so my challenge to you guys, if you guys are the ones that students are coming to knock on your door, that you do create a safe spot for them to do that. And knowing, you know, mandated reporter laws and all that kind of stuff, there's things that we have to do. And I would encourage you guys that as you're doing that, as you're entering into that conversation with us, you say, everything that you're going to say to me right now is fully confidential, except for blah, 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 blah. And I don't want to say them because I don't know what Utah 
law is is different than California law, but you guys obviously have all gone through your your training. Um, but just letting them know that, hey, I'm here to love, I, I want to love on you and point your scripture. So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So pursuing of counseling is to help others see what might otherwise blind them in their lives. We're so good. The brain is so powerful that we can know stuff. Like I said, I would get up on stage and I would teach something. And when I would lay my head down at night, those things that I was just trying to get people to believe, I wouldn't believe because my brain had blind spots to them. And so it's great to have those people to work through solutions together to bring healing to our relationships with others and ourselves. And sometimes even with God, that was one of the things that like with my mental health was like, I was angry at God, you know, and it was like, what are you doing? And, and I didn't have anyone to process that with because I didn't create a safe spot of people that needed to pour into me. I started as a, you know, 19 year old youth pastor and was just like, I got to prove myself. I got to be all together. I got to be all together. And I never was really wise with connecting with older men or women. Uh, favorite quote, don't know who it is, but as believers, the most, in thing, the most important thing about our psychology is our theology. And so, yes, we want to point ourselves and our students back to the word of God. Right, this draws attention to the unfortunate reality that many of our hurts, our habits, and our hangups are rooted in our false ideas about God. We pick up these false ideas along the road in our life in many different ways, some through our family origins or the messages that we're getting from culture to the secrets that drive us into isolation, or even sadly, sometimes the church itself is helping produce some of these false realities about God. Some churches just simply don't teach the Bible in its context. And instead, they treat it like a self-help book filled with good advice for becoming a better version of yourself. And while becoming a better version of yourself may fill the whole of, you know, with noble intentions, the point of the Bible is not to be a better version of ourselves, but to reveal what it means to live as a completely new creation, totally forgiven, cleansed by the blood of God, and walking with a mind that is submitted to the truths of the gospel. That is what a new creation is like. So when we receive counsel, we have a safe context in which to confess our weaknesses, receive wisdom and guidance, and ultimately experience the healing that we need. Fourthly, revealing the mind excuse me, renewing the mind is the goal of mental fitness. If the goal to working out at the gym is, is weight loss or gains or whatever it is, I think mental fitness is we need to have the goal as well. And the goal of that is the renewing of our mind. Again, as I read earlier in Romans, explains that we can experience transformation by the renewing of our minds. And part of that process is learning to address the past wounds, uncover unhealthy thought patterns that we have, develop new perspectives that are in alignment with God's revealed truth. Renewing our mind improves replacing the old thoughts with new thoughts and false thoughts with our true thoughts. The Apostle Paul shares with us 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. That last line rocked me. 
take every thought captive. See, I was thinking I was failing by having those thoughts. And I think our students think that. Like, when I lay my head down at night or when I drive over this bridge, I want to drive off of it. When I see that knife, I want to grab it. And they think that's it. That's not what we see here in Scripture. We take every thought captive. It says we don't have those thoughts. It says we take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. And there's so much hope in that reality. As we learn to replace the false thinking with true thinking, we are fulfilling the words of that verse. We can't control every thought that enters our mind because we live in a world that is constantly feeding us stimuli to affect us. Martin Luther said it very well when he says this, I cannot prevent a bird from flying over my head, but I can prevent it from building a nest in my hair. See, we can't control every thought that enters our mind, but we can learn to control what we do with those thoughts and how we respond to those thoughts. When we have a false thought, a thinking pattern that is not in alignment with God's revealed truth to us, comes flooding to our minds, we can develop the ability to take that thought captive. See, in other words, we don't let it run wild, but we identify it and we submit it to what God has already revealed is true. See, and I don't know, like I said, I don't know if you're here for you or for your students, but for me personally, I lay my head down and I would say, man, those two were over there in the corner talking and I'm sure they were talking about me. And then instead of taking that thought captive, I let it run wild. Well, I wonder what they were talking about me. Oh, and I wonder who she heard that from. I wonder who he's going to tell that to. And it just, you let it run wild, but subjective to what the truth that we already know. So like I said, in other words, don't let it run wild, right? We identify it and we subject it to the truth that God has already revealed. Uh, one of the things that I've, like I said, in that situation that I've tried to employ in my own life and I'm, like I said, I'm no mental health expert. I'm not perfect at this. But when I encounter a thought that is defeated, defeating or it's rooted in temptation, it's evil and ungodliness, it's making me feel anxious, it's making me feel depressed, it's making me feel angry, I simply ask myself this question. What lie am I believing when I entertain this thought? What lie am I entertaining when I believe this thought? The brain is the computer itself and the mind is like the software. And we know the importance of continually having software updates. I don't know if you guys have got like a new iPhone ever, right? You buy the brand new iPhone or the brand new MacBook and you get it, you open it out of the box and what does it need? A software update because they're constantly needing to renew that process. It's the same thing like our brain, our mind. Uh, we got to replace the old, out-of-date stuff with the new and true stuff, which is the gospel. And over time, the positive snowball effect begins to have transformational impact on how we view the world. Suddenly, we begin to see things that once triggered us, and they start to lose their power. We notice that just because something makes us feel a certain way, we could submit those thoughts to God and his word. And so the critical skill that we can develop is to stop and realize that our feelings, as they are very important, they don't determine reality and they certainly don't define us.
One final one here. Faith in Christ is transformational for our mental health. This one I think is huge with our students. And as I've mentioned already, there's people who will receive help from therapy and counselors regardless of their spiritual beliefs. But the best scenario that I've encountered in my own life and in counseling and discipling others are when truthful, wise counsel intersects with a deep experience of the love of God. When we say the most important thing about our psychology is our theology, our belief about God, we're affirming that personal experience, experiencing the love of God in our own lives is the anchor for everything else. And I think if I was honest with myself, when I was at the deepest and darkest part of my life, God wasn't the anchor of my life. I was able to put that, you know, that hat on, and, and you guys have probably been doing ministry long enough too, where you could fake it, right? We could walk up and it's Wednesday and we're just like, hey, we're just going to pop on stage and do our thing. But it wasn't the anchor of my life. In fact, one of the most passionate and powerful prayers ever recorded in Scripture, the Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. I think it's powerful for today. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. I think when the students enter into our offices, that that could be a prayer that we pray for them as they leave. And listen, simply believing the right facts about God in and of itself will not necessarily cure depression or cure anxiety, but you can believe the right things and still struggle with mental health, right, and emotion. You may have deeply embedded wounds that still need to be addressed. You could have deep hidden struggles that need to be confessed. You may have like that chemical imbalance or injured hardware in your brain that causes a malfunction or dysfunction in your life. And you still need more than a set of theological facts. But an outcome to that is that if you do believe the wrong facts about God and you build your life on false assumptions rooted in spiritual abuse, legalism, condemnation, wounds from the past, or all the other things that are trapped in man-made religion, I guarantee it will only add to our anxiety, to our depression, and the other struggles as well. So it's wise counsel. Seek wise counsel. It is wise to seek wise counsel. Wisdom giving and teaching our spiritual gifts. If that's something that you are find someone in your ministry that can do that, there's power in confession and accountability. Renewing our mind is the goal of physical fitness. 
And faith in Christ is transformational for our mental health. And so with that number five even of what have we forgotten that? So if it's you that's struggling with it, I would challenge you guys to go back to that childlike faith and say, what is my relationship with God looking like? And for those students who are coming to the coffee shop and meeting with you guys, I said there's lots of counseling books and stuff that's great, but it's got to be rooted in the gospel, in the war that's already been won. And it all rests on, yep, we're going to have those thoughts. We're in a fallen world. But are we letting those birds just fly over us? Are we letting it make a nest in our head? So let me pray for you guys, for your students, and then we'll get you guys out to dinner. Dearly Father, thank you so much that you are a God who is alive, who is active, that we can be honest and open with our habits, our hangups, and our hurts. That these things that we think about at night are not surprises to you. These things that our students struggle with at night are not a surprise to you. And you have ultimately the antidote for that. And it's the gospel that everything that goes through our mind, Lord, let us filter that through the gospel. Lord, let us take these thoughts captive. Lord, I know just in even the few amount of people in this room, and there's students represented who are struggling with this tonight. And God, I pray that their foundation of faith or the seeds that these youth workers have planted in their lives will start to take root. And the things of this world will lose the power because the power is only in the gospel. And so we give our mental fitness to you. We give our students mental fitness to you. In your name we pray. Amen.